y'all. Welcome to the 11th anniversary episode of RDTN. I can't believe the guys have been doing this for 11 years. I can't believe you people have been listening to them for 11 years. So in this episode, the guys will review Nucleum, Takedo Duo, Builders High, and Unmatched Tales to Amaze. Plus, they get into the Christmas spirit by playing Santa's Workshop. Happy anniversary, baby, got you on my mind. Hello and welcome to episode number 310, Last Christmas. I'm Tony. Oh my gosh, you're trying to hurt us for Whamageddon, aren't you? This is Marty. No, but I mean, you know, last Christmas I gave you my heart because we're not going to hear this song. So I thought we would help people out as they continue to avoid <laughs> the song Last Christmas by Wham from Whamageddon. Uh, you don't want to, you can't listen to it from December 1st to December 24th and you have survived. And I mean, but the very next day you gave it away this year to save me from tears. I'll give it to someone special. Special. <laughs> and covers don't count. <laughs> so every year in our Discord channel, every year, this is our third year in our Discord channel, a lot of people volunteer to participate in Whamageddon, which is just fun to talk about people's, oh man, I was in the store today, I thought I was going to get bombed. It's, it's, it's great to hear these uh, stories of people who either avoided it mm -hmm. or their stories of how they failed when it's like came out of nowhere, like somebody in our Discord channel shared that they just watched like it was a TikTok video or a Facebook video. Mm -hmm. And somebody had it playing in the background. Yes, and they got tagged for that. So we lost a lot of good people uh, on December the first for not being ready for it. And it's you know it was actually on the Rockefeller tree lighting, but it was a cover. And someone sent me a note and said, "Am I out?" And I said, first off, it's not December first, so you're okay." Yep. And it was a cover, so you're okay. So you, you dodged the bullet twice there, but be more careful as we. <laughs> continue to press forward in the month of December. And then we were at a, uh, Donna, um, her birthday was uh, recently, and we went over there. They had a small little birthday party, and we played uh, Sequence. Uh, they love playing Sequence. You still got that board you made years ago? I've made uh, up to eight boards. So, Wow. So, okay. so they still have the one I made for them, but it's cracked. So it's got to go back to Santa's workshop, and I got to fix it. And we also- hey, That's the game we're going to talk about. Uh, yes. I, I didn't even mean to make that work. <laughs> nice. Nice. Nice job there. Thank you. And we also played Order of Inventions, which we covered previously, which was when we were at Gen Con, the designer sat down and played a game with us. And he says, y'all review games? And I said, yeah. And he gave me this box called Order of Inventions. And it's about where you're wagering on which inventions came first when four cards flip over. I have gotten more plays out of that with light gamers than any mm -hmm. other one. They just love the the betting mechanics like, um, oh, shoot, what's the uh, uh, wager game? Oh, God, it just left me, dude. The way, With the mat. You There's a lot of wager games. I know, the wager game where you're guessing on answers, how close you can get to the answer. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um. Oh my God! It's a yellow box. Wits and wagers. Yeah, I, yes. Wits and wagers. Wits and wagers. Oh wow! <laughs> it's right in the word wager. <laughs> that's what was throwing me off. You know, oh, that's funny. And so we were we were playing that, and they had um Christmas music, and I looked at him. I said, "Now, first off, you're going to turn that stuff off if it's random." <laughs> you know, it's how you went. Shh. 
stuff. Yeah, <laughs> held, held yourself back. Yeah, they go, no, no, no. We downloaded a whole bunch, and and Wham is not part of that. And I said, you better not, because if there is, there's going to be some upset people around here. One of the songs they had was a whole album of goats singing Christmas carols. Have you? Oh my gosh! I know. Bah, 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 bah. No, bah. that's horrible. It was, but they loved it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Wham. Is this the same people who like listen to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer every year? It was on there. (laughs) Then I pegged them. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask you a question about the game before we move on to it. One of the uh, uh, criticisms we had of the game is you play it enough, you start learning the cards. Since you've played it so much, you pretty much knew a lot of these answers already, I would assume. Well, I'm old and I forgot a lot of, I knew the the time, but. So for last night, I knew crayons was very early, okay? Mm-hmm. But one of the other cars that came up with it was in that same time frame, and I okay. could not remember which one. So I wagered everything on crayons, and the one that was turned over was one year earlier. So I lost, okay? And there's still uh, some okay. new cards showing up because in the game, you're playing um, five rounds times three is 15. You're, you're, you're seeing 16 cards total. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, I could I could see that happening eventually. I left it with them so that they could play with their families. And it's just, it's quick, it's easy. We played it twice. We were done in under 30 minutes. Good appetizer. Okay. So anyway, so we so I've avoided last Christmas so far, and you know you're safe. Well, I mean, so far, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, that's why we named it what it is today for this episode. <laughs> Six minutes into the episode, we explain why that's happening. But it's a good explanation. It was fun. I got in two game discussions. You told me we need to do those first. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, you, I think you got some more coming up. I might. Then let me interrupt the game discussion. Talk about a book. Oh, okay. Go for it. All right. Free League Publishing makes a lot of RPG books. They make the Lord of the Rings books. We really enjoy the One Ring and the 5e version of Lord of the Rings. It just came out with an illustrated book of Dunwich Horror. And I thought, man, this looks really, really good. So I got a copy of it. And it is really nice. So it's the H.P. Lovecraft story, Dunwich Horror. But it's totally illustrated. It is It is a huge book. Each page is is really well done because it's a really short story. So the book is really thin, doesn't take a long time to read, but the art in it is really good. And I actually shared it with some people and some people, I, I knew somebody that actually went and ordered one for themselves because it just looks so nice. So Free League Publishing, I didn't realize this, Tony, was is actually is partnering with Flat River Group. Mm. Uh, you know, our good friend Danny uh, works for them. I didn't realize that they were a partner of them. So I think that's uh, really neat that they only not have not only partnered with board game publishers, but book publishers and RPG publishers too. So big fan of free league games. I think the art in their games, like the Lord of the Rings and stuff is absolutely stunning. And it carries over to these books too. So they're kind of like becoming my favorite RPG publisher right now, just because of the quality of the stuff that they put out. Okay. And it was easy to read. It was just a bunch of pictures. So even I could understand it. Oh, heck yes. Again, his short stories are are pretty short and very easy to read. So this is a piece of cake. So it's one of those things that I know you're really into uh, the uh, HP Lovecraft. I wonder if he ever thought, you know, this is going to be a huge thing even long after I'm dead. You know, he was out there, 1938. Was that when he died? I I thought that's when uh, that was published. The um, Dunwich Horror 
Oh, was that? Oh, was that when it was published? I'm checking. With, oh, I'm sorry. Written in 1928. No, nobody gets five dollars. I corrected it. Yeah, I know that he. A lot of his stuff is based in the 20s. Yeah, I don't know. It's and it's really interesting. You know, Fantasy Flight has their whole uh, line of uh, Arkham Horror games. So it's the Arkham Horror line of games inspired by his writings and everything. And in fact, uh, Aconite Books. You know, they write uh, a bunch of books on different uh, IPs and stuff. One of them being Arkham Horror. Vanessa and I did a book review earlier, a couple of their books. I'm actually reading a new book right now called Bootlegger's Dance from Rosemary Jones, which is a Christmas-themed Arkham book. So it's a book that takes place during, like at Kingsport or one of the cities based in Arkham Horror series. And it takes place during the month of December. And it's about a place that's going to have like a Christmas dance or a holiday dance. And uh, so I'm about halfway through it now. So I haven't fully finished it, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And they do some really uh, clever things like on the last page, there's actually a calendar of December. And they write uh, on the different days of December when these chapters take place. Hey, like on the first is chapters one through three. On the sixth is chapter four, et cetera. I don't know. It's kind of like uh, when I read Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. I loved when I was reading the books uh, where they would say where they were. I would quickly look up at the map to see where they were. So as I'm reading these chapters, I look, okay, we're in the calendar where they are because the big day uh, is going to be on Christmas Eve. So everything's kind of leading up to Christmas Eve like that. So I think it's really cool that uh, they're coming out with not only just your regular books, um, you know, kind of just generic books. They now have holiday themed books. And I think this has been a pretty big seller. A lot of people have been really enjoying it. So if you want to go check it out, it's available right now. Bootleggers Dance uh, from Aconite Books. A-C-O-N-Y-T-E. Did you ever read your Assassin's Creed book? Well tied in, sir. I was getting ready to ask you, is that who did my um, book that I got at Gen Con known as Assassin's Creed, The Golden City? And you're saying- It sure is. It sure is. And that was uh, by Jalea Johnson, who's, I believe, has written a bunch of them. But yes, I have read it. And it is, follows the adventures of Bassam and Hytham in the Golden City of Constantinople, that's the song. Istanbul or Constantinople. Dun, 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 dun. That's like the yep. I Dream of Genies tune that I just came up with. That's do Yep. Yeah. So it it's the battle between um so they're trying to protect this emperor. And I did finish the book. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it is the brotherly bond between Bassam and Hytham. And the challenges that those two are having for the uh, secret order of the Assassin's Creed or order of the ancients, um, there's a murderous plot afoot and they have to figure out who is involved in all this and who's the head of this uh, murderous plot. It's really not a whodunit. It's just, it, it was well-written and mm -hmm. it, it let, let me think about playing the video game of like, okay, now I want to go play Origins, Assassin's Creed Origins. Is that kind of what it's based in? Yes, 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 yes. So, okay. so it's back in that time. And I, I was just like, okay, so now I can go play that. I can understand. It gave me a little bit of the backdrop because I missed a lot of the Assassin's Creed games. A okay, most of them. We know a lot of those are in bundles now. Like if you ever want to play on the Switch or something like that, they're available as like a bundle on a Switch. Yeah, I, no, I don't need to do that. I, okay. I, this book gave gave me the background, but I do want to go play Origins so I can see how that works out. And and I, I was like, okay, now I will go look and see maybe next year in 2024 when I need to read one book a year, I will go look and see what else comes out. Because, you know, I'm not a big, I don't read a lot because uh, I read a lot of papers. I'm the same way. I don't read a lot either, which is why I've kind of been enjoying it. I've been forcing myself to do so. Like during lunch at work, I would pull out the switch and play for like 30 minutes. 
But now they got this book, instead of picking up the switch, I read for 30 minutes. Okay. And it's kind of a, just a good way to kind of break and stop looking at your phone or anything electronic and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I try to read just a couple chapters uh, during the lunch and over several weeks, I'll, I'll get through a book. And these Aconite books, I don't know about the one you read, they're they're not heavy reading, no. so it's not like you really got to focus. It's just a, a lot of, it's an easy, fun read. It's not dumbed down or anything mm. like that, but it's not real heady. It's really, they don't use a lot of big words, so and I appreciate that. Exactly. I mean, some of the, you know, some of the names were kind of hard for me, but that's, uh, if you've listened to this podcast, names are always hard for me. So I make them up as I'm reading the book along so that whatever it really was is not how it's probably actually pronounced. But in my mind, it's right. And that's what matters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Assassin's Creed, the Golden City was, it wasn't a hard read. I read it when we were on our cruise and I didn't mm-hmm. finish it until just recently, but it, it was, it was one of those where it was easy to read, pick up, read a few chapters here or there while we were waiting on things to happen or, uh, you know, something was going on the ship and I can just sit back and relax and do that. And I felt kind of strange reading that on a cruise ship with all of these people. They were like, well, that seems like, you know, they're reading these real heady games and um, heady books. And I'm like, oh, that's not me. Let's let me escape. I'm on escape, <laughs> you know, reading about diplomacy from Harry Kissinger who died recently, who I really thought was already dead, but okay. I did too. <laughs> I did too. I'm like, why is Kissinger trending? Oh, he died? I thought he died like 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of like out of the spotlight. You just totally forget about these people. So, Oh, yeah. I, the, one of the funniest stories that's ever happened was um, Rebecca had Diplomacy, the book he wrote. And uh-huh. she had it. And a bug was crawling across her desk. And she killed the, buck, the bug with the book Diplomacy. And it's a big book. So, mm-hmm. so it was just kind of ironic. <laughs> So a couple of things, again, that's aconitebooks.com if you want to find out more. And Tony, Assassin's Creed Origins got an 81 on Metacritic, so it didn't like a, look like a bad game to check out. It's available on the PlayStation. You're talking about the one I just did, or which one? I'm confused. You, you, you said you wanted to play Origins. Origins, yes. 81, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so that it got an 81, came out in 2017, and it's probably probably free, or you don't have the, play, you don't have the PlayStation Plus anymore, do you? Mm. Probably, so probably- I, I have the actual disc. It was like $5 at GameStop. Oh, you got it. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, 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 I got it. That was one of those buy two, get one free used games or some deal at GameStop did, which I lost out on my November $5, completely blanked it. Oh, dude, see, yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I used my $5 in Super Mario RPG. I'm sure you did. And we'll yeah, definitely talk about it. Now, um, when I was down with my daughter and I went mm-hmm. down recently to see her and her husband got promoted, he's now a captain. And Donna had to remind me that it's captain, then major, then colonel. And she had to use the MASH references to help keep it straight in my mind because I'm not very good with it. Oh, his. that's right. Cause ca- yeah, because it was uh, Captain Hawkeye Pierce who reported and Major Burns was above them. And then Colonel Potter or Colonel Blake mm-hmm. was over the whole... Uh, Whole, whole thing. So the, he wanted to actually, when we were done, he said, let's play a game, but he let Rebecca pick it out. And we played Ticket to Ride. Imagine that. Ticket to Ride. It always Which is. Which one? The original. So, the base game. Gotcha. It's the one she has. I have a couple copies. So she took one of mine and we played it. And I was trying to use the longest route men- mentality, you know, where you mm-hmm. pick all the big long routes to try to end the game sooner. And I was... I, <laughs> I like that. The goal is not to win. <laughs> the goal for Tony is to make the game as short as possible. <laughs> if you use the six trains, you get 15 points. And if you use all the big routes, generally, if you go do the Western half of the board, you can sometimes pull, get lucky on ticket pools and only need 
the the outer edge routes to get your points for your tickets. That strategy did not work well, but I was in the lead. Rebecca came up and tied me at the end, and I thought she and I were going to share the victory, and Noah pulled over and flipped over a 21-point ticket and beat us by five. That Oh, that frustrated me because I'm sitting here going, this stinks. Now, they sit there and hoard the cards, and then suddenly they start laying a whole bunch of track. There's not a hand limit? I will check that rule. I don't think there is. I, I haven't played Ticket to Ride in so long, but when you said that, I said, well, it seems like you would want a hand limit. Oh, wait a minute. Is there any negatives for any routes you don't make at the end of the game? For the routes, yes, but just for like collecting the um, tick, uh, the train cards. They, they'll get a mitt full, like 20-plus cards, uh-huh. and then they'll start laying out a whole bunch of track. I mean, that's a risky okay. strategy, but I'll go back and check. It's, you know, this is one of those like Monopoly house rules. Alan R. Moon is probably rolling his eyes if he were to ever listen to this show. And, well, we ain't got to worry about yeah, that. We don't got to worry ahead. about that. But it was crushing. To, to it will, uh, Victory was snatched from me with a 21-point ticket. Because I'm like, dude, you're not playing any trains. And he was building the cross-country L.A. to New York path. I believe that's what it was. And mm-hmm. I didn't catch on to that. Or I would have blocked his progress. That was going to be my next question. Was there any of that where people are trying to block each other's routes? Oh, yeah. my do- Oh, we play cutthroat. Cutthroat ticket okay, to ride. That's, yeah. She didn't even pick up on it, or she would have blocked him. Donna was just along for the ride. Ticket to ride is always one of those that will always come out for people who just, they just enjoy a simple, non-big, thinky game. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's been around for so long. And it is still a leader in sales. It's still the game. Uh, I remember one time it's like, oh, you should introduce people to uh, these types of board games with Catan. I was never that way. It was always ticket around mm-hmm. me because it's an easier concept to understand. I could easily explain. You're just trying to build routes. Designed in 2004. Holy cow. That's been a while. So 2004. So 2024 will be the 20 year anniversary. I wonder if the um, trains will be gold plated or something when they come out with it. Because you know they're going to come out with the 2020 version. A 20 year uh-huh. anniversary. Those were the games that I got played over to Thanksgiving. I don't know about you. How was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was really good. I played zero games. I took a sack of games and not one of them got played. Why is that? It's just a lot of traveling. So we traveled down to Mississippi on Thanksgiving. We traveled three hours to New Orleans. We had New Orleans with uh, Vanessa's family. Then we traveled three hours back. And then <gasps> Friday we got up and we wanted to go into town because we want to go check out some used video game stores. And I got a really nice used video game store. And then when we got back, I can't remember we had, I can't remember what we had for supper i don't know it was just it never happened and then saturday we drove back man you just need to relax take it easy but and again i had all these games and it just and i I keep telling you over and over my family doesn't play games it's like the last option if there is nothing else to do they'll sit and play a game i think you should force and play a game and i'll feed you well i okay so i did play a commander uh with the boys uh travis bought the brand new four commander decks so we played that and I feel bad. It feels like every time I play, I win. <laughs> and there's no reason why I should win <laughs> because those guys know they get cards inside and out. But that's Commander. Commander is wild and crazy and just wild things can happen. The bad thing with Commander is man games can last a long time. I mean, when you're going to play a three or four player game, you're going to be sitting there for an hour minimum with balanced decks. Let me put that ahead. If the decks are really even, which is what the pre-cons are now, they do tend to last a while. So somebody can't just run away with it. But um, as I'm playing this, I'm going, this is why I'm looking forward to something like uh, Star Wars Unlimited or something where the games are 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of playing a card game. 
But after an hour, I'm like, oh my gosh, can we just hurry up and end? Even though I ended up winning. In fact, Travis was knocked out and Brett just conceded. He said, I don't think I can catch you. I'm just going to concede. So we didn't actually end the game with me beating him. He just conceded when he had like 20 life left. So that's why I'm looking forward to some uh, like Star Wars Unlimited. I know Disney Lorcana is the same way. 20 minute game. Card game now is like perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And Lorcanon, I think they're getting ready to release the, but when this airs, they should be releasing the expansion, aren't they? They released the second set. And it's really interesting to watch the prices on a TCG player. They're dropping. Well, they should. Well, I'm just saying they're not for investment. There's games out there, out now like uh, Sorcery and uh, One Piece, whose trajectory is like their stuff is increasing in price, increasing in value. Well, Lorcana is, is dropping really quick. Great. That means anybody who can get Lorcana can play it. Awesome. But there's not a demand. The market is not there. Mm-hmm. Product's sitting out there. Because I was watching Rudy from Alpha Investments, and he touched a little bit on Lorcana. He said, I ain't touching that right now. He said, right now, the, the prices are just tanking so, so much. He's all about investment, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to turn a profit. But he said, I, he said, I don't know that they, Ravensburger has got their plan down on how to to match supply and demand to make sure there's a, a balance there. He said, right now it's really out of whack. So he said, he's not touching it. Where a game like One Piece, it seems to have, they have their ducks in a row for some reason. When I was down in Florida at the end of October, did you did I talk to you about going into the shop and seeing the Lorcana tournament? I can't remember. You did not. Okay, yeah. I went into a shop and first off, this game shop I had been in before, they've changed. They've actually gotten smaller which is unreal. And all they do now is magic card games. And they were actually doing Lorcana at the time. And they had six people playing. I was talking to him about it. And one of the guys was telling me, yeah, some of the prices he paid for the boosters. And then one guy said, I got lucky. I had put in a pre-order at one of my stores and was able to get the box. And so mm-hmm. they've been playing tournaments, but it's only been the six of them because that's only the people who have the cards. They were actually wanting more supply. They were not saying, hey, we're in for the collection or anything like that. We want to play the game. We love playing the game. Well, that's great because it should be there now. And I'm, I've just now pulled up. We're recording this on uh, December 3rd of 2023. Uh, looking at TCG Player, back on December 17th through 19th, so right after Gen Con, prices for the first booster box were hitting almost $400 a box. As of today, those prices are $230 a box. Okay, So they've dropped drastically. I'm right here on TCG player. I can order them all day. They're available right now if I want them. So, which is good uh, for players. I do have a concern though, because I was talking to a local game store in Monroe. One I actually just opened recently this year. And I was asking about what they have and stuff. I said, is anybody playing Lorcan? He said, oh yeah. He said, I've, I've sold all of my pre-orders for set two. I said, sweet. I said, what about uh, any interest in Star Wars Unlimited? He said, I have zero interest in that game. Why? And I went, oh crap. Oh, I don't know. He didn't know. He said, I just have zero interest. And right now, I'm probably not going to pre-order any. I went, oh, that's not a good sign because pre-orders are available right now for the first booster box Hmm. from stores. Okay. I'm wondering if it's just have to do with something with the fact that people aren't, it's it's the wrong time of year. They're not thinking about it. Maybe we get over the holiday hump and they say, hey, and I really haven't seen a lot unless you're out there on the the YouTubes. I haven't seen a lot of um, talk about it. Again, each each week, FFG is continuing to push out more information about it. PAX U just ended. They had a big demo session there. The tables looked crowded. They had designers there signing cards and stuff. It'll be interesting seeing. I know I'm at least in for one box. Oh, yeah. I really want one box. But, but what's cool is that's great. 
I don't want the Lorcana Madness. Mm. If I can easily get a booster box, fantastic. So maybe people are scared because of how FFG handled Destiny. Mm. So we'll see how that goes. So just a quick comparison. So I mentioned uh, One Piece. Uh, their latest booster box is Pillars of Strength. So on 9-13, which is the same time I was comparing a Lorcana, a booster box was $81 a box. Their stuff's a lot cheaper. Right now, as of today, it's $154, and it's been on an upward trajectory. So Lorcana tanked, or tanks the wrong word, has consistently dropped. Mm-hmm. One piece has consistently gone up. So it's really interesting how the market's like, ooh, this is what I want to collect. But I see a lot of people talking and playing Lorcana. Man, CCG's a tough space to play in. Yes, yeah. I mean, we made it with Netrunner, even though it was a LCG. I mean, we had time. We were able to we had some good tournaments, things like that. But now I just don't see in my future of being able to do a lot of tournaments or going to tournaments or organizing mm-hmm. these tournaments. It's just a hard thing. Which is why I'm excited about this because if we're not doing that, you and I getting together for lunch or or before everybody gets there for game night, playing a 20-minute game mm-hmm. is nice. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. Now, real quick, we'll talk a little sports ball so everybody can just zone out. So, I, you know, I was over on our Discord channel and I caught a blurb of y'all talking about the college rankings and how people are all upset about that. And I will have to admit that whole Georgia, Alabama, I don't care which teams you're pulling for. Something is messed up there. I'm sorry. So can you explain to the audience what you're talking about? So Georgia has been ranked number one in the college in the United States, college football, the one where you throw the ball and kick the ball and tackle people. (laughs) Right. Okay. It's, it has been ranked, I don't know, number one forever, it seems like, or at least for as little as I've paid attention to it, where Alabama was ranked number eight. Well, the SEC had their championship with Georgia versus Alabama, and Alabama came out on top. That means that the college football rankings were going to be adjusted, and Alabama came fourth, where Georgia fell to number six, which knocked them out of the top four spots. And there's this playoff between the top four teams in the nation. Okay. Unless Georgia's schedule was that pathetic, I don't see how they deserve to fall that far out by losing just to one team. And I also understand the argument where Florida State, the winner of the ACC, was 13-0. and They didn't even make it. But then you have the Michigan people screaming about it, and oh, Washington. Well, okay, why the Mich- Michigan shouldn't be screaming because they're in. I know, but Michigan could, could be sitting there saying, "Yeah, but you could have kicked us." I don't know. I don't. I know there's only four teams allowed, so maybe they need to expand it. I don't know. It is. It's, it's going to expand. I think next year. Okay. My biggest beef is honestly Florida State. How does a team that goes undefeated? And I know people are saying, "Well, their Heisman Trophy quarterback got knocked out." Okay, so so not as good as what they once were. They still deserve, everybody else deserves to go. My big beef is Alabama has one loss against Texas, who's in the final four playoff, and Florida State beat Texas. So how can you put Alabama over Florida State in there? Exactly. It's It's, it's unheard of. You know what it is? It's ratings. It is. It's ratings. It's money. Because Alabama's going to get make more money than what Florida State will. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Money, 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 money. We know how it is. We know what, what... what people need, they need the money. And and the TV people need that money, which therefore now puts Florida State against Georgia down in the Orange Bowl, which, yes, it took me a while to land this bad boy. NC State is playing in the Pop-Tart Bowl in Jacksonville, and I will be there if I can get tickets. So, yes, it knocked everybody in the ACC down, including us. And since my son Adam lives in Jacksonville, 
heck yes. Because <laughs> Adam said, you know, I live like five minutes from the stadium. I said, well, then you for sure better buy a ticket and get over there and watch the Pop-Tart Bowl. Last year it was the Duke Mayo Bowl. This year it's the Pop-Tart Bowl. It's the best bowl. I'm, I'm like, I'm like a Pop-Tart. Oh, I am going, if I can just get a foam finger of a Pop-Tart or something, I don't. <laughs> I want a t-shirt. A t-shirt. <laughs> Uh, of the of the pop tart and i just want to go so i can sample all the various flavors and maybe see some stuff and with adam being that close and then rebecca's only an hour away i got places to stay i'm like this is you know not i'll crash on adam's couch i will crash at rebecca's i'm like oh this is a win-win for me so we just gotta find out when that is yeah stop 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 pop tart bowls in orlando i thought that was in jacksonville now, I'm looking at it right now. There is a bowl in Jacksonville that they might have been going to. Oh, I was thinking the Pop-Tart was in Jacksonville. Okay. But which one are they going to? They're, they're scheduled to go to the Pop-Tart if they get picked for that one. All right. So we don't know where they're going. So the Pop-Tart is in Orlando. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. There is a bowl in Jacksonville, though, and I can't remember the name of it. Okay. Well, see, we don't even know so they all this make sports it to that stuff. Too. We, we, we can't talk this sports stuff because we don't know. I just I just know the name of them. Pop-Tart Bowl. Yeah. Maybe we better get back to games. All right. We've gone on and on and on. One more game I want to talk about. I've got another uh, Sagrada Legacy in. Okay. Yeah, I'm very interested in this. I'm very interested in this. And I know you're still uh, wanting to get a copy of Ticket to Ride Legacy, mm-hmm. too. And I'm very interested in both of those. All right. So Sagrada Legacy, first off, it needs to be played sooner than what we are doing. So that is one thing. That is the biggest thing about legacy games. If you're only going to play with the legacy partners every three months, that sucks because of travel mm. and stuff like that. It took me 30 minutes to figure out where we were in the series and what rules had changed and things like that. So I was sitting there having, I had started reading them before we went over to the house to play. And I was like, okay, this shouldn't be this hard. And I'm like, oh crap, what are these, all these new rules that I put in at the end of it? I didn't get a chance to read. And then I had to go relearn everything. The good thing about Sagrada is it's Sagrada. It's very straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all these new rules, these new tools, and trying to understand some of the stickers that, where are all these stickers and opening those things up? I'm loving it. If it's only two in, I'm liking some of the concepts that they've put in there with the tools and how you add tools and you have your own personal tools. I like that. So it's it's going to be fun. I just wish we could get it more, get it to the table more often than what we are doing. So with Ticket to Ride, I think I am going to really scope that one down if I get a copy of Legacy, um, spend some hard on cash on that, grab, grab uh, Ticket to Ride Legacy, and maybe just do me and Donna because this playing every three months sucks oh that's horrible that's a horrible way to play like a campaign style game exactly and i'm like i'm getting ready to pull the ripcord on this one and say okay we're not doing that no i'm kidding and the reason why it sucks is it's not the the people it's just having to remember what rules have changed and having to go through everything because in legacy those rule changes are very important i enjoyed it i like the challenge of it i like some of the puzzles because it's not always the same board especially the one we play i will say here's the beef that everybody keeps coming back to purple and red are too close in color in the books oh okay okay Okay. so the the dice when they're rolled you, you can easily see red and purple but on the books the, the shading needed to be a little bit different for the red versus the purple. I know why they did it. It's pastel, mm-hmm. but it's very, it's very close, especially if the light's not just right. So, yeah. Right. So Sagrada Legacy, if you're looking for a legacy game, maybe you're going to have people that are going to come and spend two weeks with you at Christmas. Hey, pick that one up. And lastly, it's our anniversary episode. Woo! It's 11 years. Are you, did you play the song at the beginning? I forgot. I did. Good. 
See, I'm eating my pop tart. Keep going. It's already been thirty. I see a pop tart bowl. It kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Land is a little bit further away, though. I know. Well, that's I, kind of a haul. I watched YouTube. I'm chewing while while you're talking to me, and you do that on purpose. Was Paul improved from Great British Break Off or ranking American snacks? Break off. Bake off. Sorry. Bake off. <laughs> And they got Pop-Tarts, and it was hilarious. Why would anybody choose to eat those things? I didn't know this existed. You need to send me a link. I want to see this. It was so funny. They just wrapped up their latest season. And Vanessa and I, after the season was over, it's like, how is it every year we think that, okay, the quality is going to go down. It's not going to be as as entertaining, and it's always so entertaining. They just do a good job with that show. They do. They really do. I really like the new host, too, Allison. Okay. Um, at first, it took her and Noel a, little, a couple episodes to find their chemistry, but by the end, they work really well together as the host of the show. Okay. So. But so it's our anniversary. So are we giving anything away? Uh, well, yes. Yeah. So in, in typical fashion, we always do a giveaway, and uh, same. Uh, we're going to be doing the same thing this year. Now, in the past, we've always done surveys and stuff like this, and we appreciate all the surveys, but end up being the same thing said every year. So <laughs> I think we kind of see what we're going to. It was our way of people to enter in stuff, but now at the Discord channel, we've been using our Discord channel as a way for people to enter in on contests. We're going to do the same thing here. Uh, go over to our Discord channel. We have a contest section. Uh, where people can just enter in once. Basically, hey, I want to enter into the episode 310 11th anniversary giveaway. And here's some of the things we're going to be giving away. Just a few of the things. Uh, We're going to be giving away uh, gift cards to Miniature Market. We're going to be giving uh, gift cards away to Portal Games. Thank you so much for their support and contributing those. Uh, We may have a a game or two that we're going to give away. And as always, one of our favorite things, Tony, is we have our mystery boxes. This is where Tony and I go through our library, maybe pick out some games we've covered on the show in the past, or maybe games that we haven't even played yet, put them in the box, and somebody's going to be the lucky winner of the mystery box. And we are air quoting lucky on that. Because you don't know what you're getting. It's a mystery box. There, it may be a box of crap, especially if it's coming from my house. It'd be a good box if it's coming from Marty's house. We hope everybody gets over there, enters. Good luck. Oh, hope you get the gift you want. If you get the box of crap, we would love to hear if it was something you could use or even resell. Shoot, you might get a game in there that might be worth a lot, and and we don't even know it. We just threw it in the box. <laughs> a good chance of that. Oh, wow. This is going for like $150 on eBay. Why do they send me this? <laughs> this sort of deal. Thanks to everyone who listens to the show. 11 years and an extremely long time in this space now. There's a lot of people that's been, you know, that's very new to the podcast space. And we obviously welcome them here. And we're the old fogies of this space, but we still enjoy doing it. And as long as you enjoy listening to us, then we're going to keep doing it until we just can't do it anymore. It's like, we're just done. Pull the plug. But I will say that I haven't really talked about this in a while, but we really would love your support if you want to support the show over at buymeamoonpie.com. Any money that you give to the show, whether it's recurring or a one-time gift, goes straight back into the show for things like these uh, uh, giveaways, like for paying for shipping. Because every once in a while, I'll just throw a game out there that I'm giving away on Discord, and it just covers shipping. Shipping's expensive now, Tony. Even just like for a game, you're going to be paying $17 to $20 you know, every time you ship something. Uh, so it's for do- covering giveaways ways like that we actually had to increase our uh, space for storing podcasts because after 11 years y'all that's a lot of gigabytes of audio files that need to be stored somewhere so we have a monthly increase of being able to store all this file so 
We would love your support. Again, at 100% goes back into the supporting the show. And uh, we would just appreciate that. Again, that can be over at buymeamoonpie.com. So give away at Discord. Go jump in there. Just give a thumbs up on the uh, the entry. And if you want to support the show, you can do that. Buymeamoonpie.com. And uh, for what we thought was going to be a very short intro, ended up being around 40 minutes. So we should probably get over to our reviews. Portal Games just released a brand new army in their Nurashima Hex app. That's hard to say. Nurashima Hex app. And the army is called the Partisans. Now, Tony, do you still play a Nurashima Hex on your phone? Every once in a while, I just kind of pull up a game and play it. Uh, just for because it's a quick game. So I was excited to hear about this brand new army that's out. No, I, have, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to do it a lot. So I, I, mm-hmm. it's, it's an ebb and flow thing. Ebb and flow. You did. You were playing all the time. Me and you had like games going on and stuff. So maybe this is a game that will pull you back into it. So I, I'm really excited about this. I'm curious. I, I don't. I should, I should have asked Anasi, is this going to come out in physical form? Uh, right now, this is digital only. Uh, but the art looks really cool and like that. So uh, yeah, if you didn't know, yeah, there is actually an app that you can play Nurashima Hex on your phone. It's available on the uh, iTunes or Apple app store along with uh, google play it's a great implementation of the game you can play remotely with friends it teaches you how to play the game or you can play against ai it's a really well done game and it's one of those things if you've never played the game tony it's still one of my favorite head-to-head two-player games of all time i think it's a brilliant design so if you want to see how it plays before you go and spend money on it this is a great way to do so. You could just look for the Nurashima Hex app inside either Google Play or the App Store. They have tons of armies available for you. Get it, check it out. You can add some more armies. Maybe we should start up some online games in our Discord channel. Some people within our Discord channel start playing some head-to-head Nurashima Hex games. That could be fun too. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I've stopped playing Ascension, so I would be. I would love to do that. So maybe we'll set that up. So first, make sure to go get the game, then head over to our Discord channel, which you can find on Raw dicetechnames.com and check out the brand new Partisans for Nurashima Hex. One of the games that we got to see at Gen Con was a new game from Board and Dice Games called Nucleum. This game is designed by David Tertzi and Simone Luciani. It plays one to four players and uh, what's the time on the box, Tony? 60 to 150 minutes if you're lucky. They don't say if you're lucky. I'm just saying, <laughs> and, and yeah. I fully support that 150 minutes. Uh, uh, yes, yes, especially uh, the more players you have, the more likely it's, it's going to go up there. All right, so I will say, Tony, when it comes to the theme of this game, the things that you're doing, to me, make sense. You have this board out on the table that's made up of a lot of different cities. You have a player board in front of you that contains a lot of different buildings and some uranium fields and some turbines that you're trying to get out onto the main board. Here's the whole gist of the game. I'm going to take some of my buildings and get them out into the cities and place them in, into there. However, Tony, these, these aren't powered up. I want to get electricity to these things. Scattered around the board are power generation plants. There's four of them. All of them are capable of using coal to generate electricity. Over the course of the game, they're going to be able to take uranium and become nuclear and be more efficient at creating power. But here's the thing. As I put a 
CD down onto the board, I need to get power to it. Unfortunately, the power plant's on the other side of the map over there, and I got to create a, a way to get over there, or somebody does. Course of the game, you're going to be laying rails down onto the board to connect these different cities together. If I can get one of my cities connected via rail to a place that houses a power generation plant, and that power generation plant has a path to coal or one of my uranium mines that I've put out on the board, I can resource coal to the plant, send electricity to my city, energize that city, is signifying that by flipping it over. And energizing cities is really kind of the main way that you're going to score victory points as you play this game. But the key to that energization of the city is you'll be collecting stars. The, the victory points for the cities come at the end. But these stars that you're getting, these energy stars that you're doing. These also achievements. Achievements. Achievement help tokens. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. They help you get additional ways to get victory points. Mm -hmm. and scoring tracks. I mean, there there are multiple ways to get all these victory points, and it is not a complicated task. All you're having to do is you have two choices. You have a choice of putting a tile in your area to play and taking the actions from that tile, or you may place that tile with a meeple, you're laying the track, and taking the actions on that tile if colors line up, one of, that's one of the things I like about that is that you don't lose that tile right then when you place it on the board, but later you no longer get to use that tile because it stays on the board. You forfeit that tile. So those are the two actions of this game. Use it for your personal supply to take actions on the board or use it to lay track. Yeah, because the action tiles themselves are the track. Are the track. And, yep. and they and they have various colors that can line up to the city. So you have to strategically place those tiles on the board so that you can do the actions. You don't have to. You can just drop a piece of a tile down on the board without the colors matching up and not take any actions. You would be stupid to do that. Unless you really need to create a finish a line, because once a line is connected between two different cities. All those tiles are flipped over to their railway sign to show that this is an indicated completed line. And then you start creating networks. And it's these networks that are created that allow you to run your coal or uranium over the railways to a power generation plant, trace a path from that power generation plant back to your unlit building and power it up. This is the thing about the game that we debated the times we played is what's a network, what's a city, how are networks made? And you need to go to BGG and reference what that is because that was one of the things that, hey, if I don't have a rail line leading to a city, that city is not in my network. Well, it is in my network. It could be by itself. This was the thing that, that, that <laughs> as you're beginning to play it, and I'm not going to try to explain it because no. it, you need to see the board. You need to see how it's laid out. It can befuddle you. And that is the complication, the complicated part of this game. It is the part that will frustrate people as well as putting those tiles down and eliminating an action that you will need and not. Okay, I got to get this out because I've been thinking about this when we wanted to talk about this. Okay. These tiles that give you the actions on the board, there's only so many that have certain actions on them and when you're starting hand. If you use one of those tiles and eliminate that action, and then later you're waiting for additional tiles to come up that have that action and they don't, you are messed up. Okay, what does he mean by that? So you have, like you said, you have these starting hands of tiles. One of the actions on your tiles 
is to go to the develop section of the board in order to claim new uh, action tiles, which needs to be done. When you start laying track, you're using up your action tiles, so you need to go reclaim more, and that's how you get them. And in the first game we played, Tony, I really screwed up because I used my energized tile mm -hmm. as a rail tile, and then I didn't have it. And then I was in that situation where you got this little market of action tiles that you can uh, claim when you take that develop action. None of the tiles had the energize icon on it. Right. So I kept having to wait till one popped up and finally I could go out there and claim one so I could start energizing my cities or providing power to the buildings in my city. Sorry. And the next time we played, I lost my securing contracts. Yeah, which is the one where basically it is like uh, – uh, goals you're working towards. Mm, uh, yeah. you're, you're trying to work towards these in-game goals. And when you do, you earn some of awards by doing so. That's one of the things you have to be very cognizant of, of this game is not doing that because you can, when, when those tiles are showing up, if that, if that's not there, you will lose out on that opportunity until they do and hope that no one else will take it from you later. And every tile in your starting tiles and the ones that you actually claim have two actions on them. So, and there's different combinations of those. So one may have a develop and energize together while another may have develop and industrialize, uh, which is hey, how you get your uranium mines on the board. And the, the spots on the board indicate what can be built there. So some spots are either buildings, some spots are either mines, some spots are either turbines, and turbines are used basically to allow you to use more uranium to in order to energize a city. Because what you find out is coal is expensive, Tony. Over the course of the game, it starts out at just one silver per coal. But every time you use it, it goes up by one to a max of three. And it only generates one power unit. But if you have uranium in your mines, each uranium cube generates two power. So as the game goes on and you get your larger buildings out there that requires more power to energize, you want to try to, if possible, have uranium mines all over the board so that you can get those big buildings lit up, which will generate those uh, big uh, points for you. Now, one of the things uh, with these tiles, I mean, and some of them did, like I had one that had two energize on them. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Those are few and far between far mm -hmm. between in these games. So you've done this. You've, you, you've out there, you've put your tile on a board, you've gotten additional contracts, you've uh, you've you know built some um, buildings, you got the ability to put turbines out there, you got some uranium mines, you're out of stuff to do. So you say, you know what? I need to recharge. I need to take all my pieces that I played and I need to say, all right, I need to bring them back. And when I do that, on your board, you have been advancing the money tokens, hopefully how much money you're going to get when you recharge, how many meeples you're going to get during a recharge, and the potential to move up on the victory point track. Those three things, as you've been playing, have possibly advanced. It depends on what you've done. Maybe when you energize the city, when you played a certain tile, they're, they're all advancing. So you do that. I'm going to get X amount of money, X amount of meeple, X amount of victory points. I now need to char turn in these stars for energizing stuff and place it on another track that Marty, I mean, it's going to then based on a, another tile that's there, will tell you how a multiplication factor is going to come in at the end of the game. But let's say you didn't energize anything. Don't worry. Don't fret. 
you can put it at the bottom of the board. You'll take minus three victory points and you'll get an additional money and a meeple. Yay. Don't do that too many times because <laughs> points are tight. I mean, right. unless you're playing Marty, the savant of this game, then the points are nowhere near tight. But the recharge action, when to do that, that is also very strategic because you, you don't want to wait too long. But Marty, what happens if you're the last person to take a recharge action for that, quote, round? I don't know what better term to call it after everybody's done a recharge. Yeah, so everybody has uh, – there's uh, three points during the in the game where you'll take a recharge. And once everybody's recharged you know, at least one time, uh, you're going to do a scoring. Whoever is highest on that uh, achievement track, uh, mm-hmm. which helps towards in-game scoring, is numeric from 0 to uh, 1 to 20-something. Whoever's highest on that track is going to get six points, and the next highest is going to get two. Then all those achievement tokens or those star tokens that you call them go away. So that's what is really tough. It's like, I want to collect as many of these as I can and get them out there on the board because they're going to go away. Oh, and by the way, that track that you're going to apply your little star to when you recharge, it's separated into zones, one to seven, eight to 12 or something like that. You can only have one of your markers in each of those zones. Mm -hmm. So if the first time I recharge, I have, let's say, uh, 10 points. And I put my marker there. The next time I recharge, I have still just 10. I either have to drop to the next lower zone where I don't have a marker. But if there's a marker already in that zone, then it has to go into the uh, minus three spot at the bottom of the board. So you got to make sure to try to get more achievement points than you did the last time, hopefully, before you perform a recharge action. So I was, I was telling uh, Bert, to me, it's like Concordia. You got a, a collection of cards that you're going to be playing over the course of the game. At some point in time, it's like, man, I, I need to get all these back into my hand and you're going to do so. That's what this feels like, because eventually you're going to start running out of action tiles or the tiles that you have left just don't do you any good. And hopefully by that point, you've earned enough achievement points to be able to put your marker at a good spot on that board and then go perform that recharge action. And like you said, each of those zones have an associated random tile that was set up at the beginning of the game that will contribute an in-game scoring. And the bottom zone is like one times whatever that in-game scoring condition is, and the top one's like six times. Let's say, for example, I think, Tony, in the last game we had, it was like for every turbine you have out on the board, six times that number of turbines you've put out there, which Mm -hmm. is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And you can, of course, combo those. Say you got one in the six zone and one in the five zone. Overall, the game, for, for me personally, I enjoy the initial build of it, but it started staying on the table a little long. I felt like I was getting radiation poison. And it's one of those reasons is because people, and it's not the game. Let me be very clear here. It is not the game. It is the people playing the game are trying to really think through because you do, you really have to think through your very next step because you do not want to set yourself up to say, okay, I'm going to electrify the city. And suddenly you find yourself with not enough money, not enough uranium. You've got to keep all that in place and you have to build either inside your network or put a link down that creates a new network for you so you can build. And you also have to keep in mind that other people can go there and build. Thanks, Marty. I appreciate you doing that. And it can mess you up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I understand that's what makes this game so good is the fact that you've really got to think through it. But to me, it just drug that that started to drag when people, when it got that complex. And that's, that's me, that's me as a gamer. 
I like to to get move, move, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. But even I would sit there and slow us down going, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do for the next three tiles I'm playing? Because you have to think it out. Yeah. A lot of people compare this to brass because of the way it looks. Uh, the fact that you've got these cities and you're trying to build these connections between cities and transport things over those tracks and everything. And I get that. I, I will say in comparison, I do think complexity wise, it's kind of on the brass level of complexity, but also length play wise, it's probably that too. Cause you know, brass games can take a little while too. And we've played a four player game and a three player game. And even in three player game, Tony, I will agree at towards the end, I felt like this was going in a little long because there's multiple ways to trigger the end of the game. There's, there's several ways. It's like, if you do, everybody does three recharges, that'll trigger, Hey, this is one way to start the end of the game. Three, Three of the triggers have to occur for four-player game and two have to do for a two-player game. A couple of them are when you run out of one, you run out of contract tiles. That's another way to trigger the end of the game. You run out of these action tiles, that triggers the end of the game, etc. Somebody gets to 70 points, that triggers it. So what I thought was going to happen though, with all these different triggers, that we would trigger those two real quickly, and it really didn't happen. No. Because if you take all the tiles and that's your first trigger, then people are doing a lot of actions during their turn. And it comes into, oh. okay, all right, he's played nine tiles to do a bunch of stuff if he has the money. And then it may take you a while to get through that your turn as well. You can't plan in advance, though. You really can't. Because like I said, you went and placed a turban right where I needed it. Or you placed a city right where I wanted to energize it. And I was like, well, dadgummit, now i got to rethink everything. And you were right before me in the turn. Mm -hmm. Now, as soon as you did it, I should have been thinking. But instead, I was, I don't know, I may have been practicing Spanish or something. I don't know what I was doing that night. I didn't have the Switch with me. I wasn't playing with the Switch. So some of the things that I really like about the game. Uh, number one, iconography. It's easy to follow, easy to understand. The contract tiles. I didn't feel like they were impossible to achieve. So that's mm. always important to me. I like the fact that there's a tech tree on the side that as you build certain things that you can invent, you have like uh, level ones, level twos, and a couple level threes. Yeah, that was really cool because, uh, and there were four different ones. This was kind of some asymmetric part of the game. Mm -hmm. Each of us had these level one, level two, and level three abilities that sometimes when you energize these cities, it allows you to activate those. Some of those were ongoing abilities. Some were one-time abilities. And then the very last one in the track, the one that was hardest to actually get uh, activated, was an in-game scoring ability. And some of those allows you to do one of the favorite things is the combo. Hey, as soon as you do this, you get to energize another city and you get a benefit from doing that. So you need to make sure you flip a certain city over at the right time that gives you the ability to then energize this city. So you got to make sure you have enough money to energize this or enough uranium. You, and you, that's the complexity we're talking about right there. Complexity in not, not in the gameplay itself, but the strategy. Yeah. The strategy. Thank you. Yeah. 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 As a Euro game, this isn't going to be anything different than you played when it comes to resource management, collect X, get enough X, turn these in if you do this, you might get to activate this, etc. What was unique to me was the use of these action tiles. These tiles that had two actions on them that you can put them at the top of your board, use them. But eventually those action tiles need to be placed on the boards as tracks so that you can expand and develop your network 
But that means you need to be going and taking the develop action Mm -hmm. to get additional action tiles back to you so you don't deplete yourselves of all the actions. That's the part that I like about the game that felt different to me. Everything else was kind of standard affair. But the development tiles were the key of how you did your strategy. And I sat there watching you. What do you mean development tiles? Not not development. You mean action tiles? Action tiles. Thank you. And I was watching you. You would lay out your action tiles so that you would have your plan. It was like watching you get set up for your um, Mexican trained dominoes. You know how you put your domino? (laughs) You know why I did that? Because in the first game, I accidentally used a tile I needed as a track. So I put them (laughs) off to the side to make sure I would not grab one of those as a track and lose that action. I also thought it was cool, too, if you can plan it out. Like you said, those action tiles have a color on each end of them. Mm -hmm. And if you can match them up to a city of the same color or a track of the same color, uh, you can activate those abilities. And what's cool is if somebody else matches their track to your track and the color's the same, they get to use an ability, but then you get to use the ability that was on your tile that you placed. So I'm going to sum it up for on my side. I mean, intense game from a player interaction because you're waiting to see what people need to do and how they're going to do it and see if you can beat them to certain points. Very brain burnerish at times when you're playing this game. As far as the theme goes, being a power guy working at a nuclear plant, I appreciate their their fun with this. I appreciate you trying to use that theme, but don't worry about it, people. It has nothing to do with that. But I, I, I like the game. And if we have the two to two and a half hours to play this game, yeah, I would I put it on the table. Now, would I play it? Which did I like more, three or four player? Personally, I think I liked four more. I think mm. it moved quicker because I think we got to an in-game state quicker than when we did as a three-player. Gotcha. I also, and I also like the competitiveness or the potential of expanding the network more with four players. Yeah, yeah. Now, in three-player, what you do is you cover up spots on the board. There's less spots for you to take. That's how they kind of scale down uh, the map a little bit. For me, it's been so many years since I played Brass. I actually was going to go back and reread the rules on Brass to see which one I liked more. So I can't compare the two because I just cannot remember how Brass exactly plays. But I know it's in the same complexity and I know it's in the takes about the same amount of time to complete. I like the game too. I would like to now almost go play Brass and see which one between the two. Uh, Just because they both have that concept of just building tracks and, and and being able to connect things together and move things around. Theme-wise, I will say this, Tony. I wish they had done a realistic nuclear theme. I wish instead of this fantasy theme that this would have been a good opportunity to... Like, I see Power Grid behind you over, over there. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's real world trying to set up an electrical network. I think it'd be interesting to show, hey, how a nuclear plant is more efficient. Mm-hmm. With the uranium, you get more energy output out of it. Well, they did that. You got two versus one coal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I like how they did I that. I that. like how yeah. they did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's just show the advantages of the nuclear over coal. I just think it would have been kind of a good lesson in power generation as opposed to applying this little fantasy theme. Whatever. I know. But that was just me because I worked in a nuclear plant too. <laughs> so right. I thought, hey, more education in this would actually have been really good. I like you. If you've got two, two and a half hours to play this. I don't know. They they told us that this was one of the heavier, more complex games that Board and Dice has done. I don't necessarily agree with that because mm. Board and Dice does the T games. Right. And I think there's some T games that are more 
complex or harder to learn than what this one is. Literally, agreed, you said at the very beginning, learning how the networks work, you got to understand that. Beyond that, the actions that you take are super straightforward and super simple. Mm-hmm. And I will say this about all the tea games we play. This one will stick with me more than the other ones from mm. the standpoint of how to play them. Not because I haven't played you know, some of them in a while, but this will come back to me quicker. You'll show me the board and I'll go, oh, these are the tiles. This is how it is. Let me get the cheat sheet for what a network is, cities, and then go from there. So if this sounds like something right up your alley, uh, you might want to check it out. Again, if your game's more than a little bit mid to heavier style games, then Nucleum might be uh, something you may want to check out. Again, this is Nucleum from Board and Dice Games from designers David Turtsy and Simone Luciani. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Recently, we got to check out a new game from Fun Forge Game called Dekaido Duo. Now, Dekaido is probably not new to a lot of people, but this version, Duo, is made for two player only. This game is from Antoine Bowser. And it plays in, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30 minutes. Now, Tony, when we got this game, I was excited about playing because I really like Takedo in how the players take their turns. You have a line of your meeples and whoever's at the back gets to move as far ahead as they want, picking the spaces they want. And then the person at the back of that line gets to continue from there. So I was really curious, like, well, how are you going to do this with a two-player game? Well, here's how they do it. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and what you probably, uh, Marty's like, so as you know, in Taikado, I said, no, as in Taikado, I've never played it. So it was mm-hmm. like, this game was new to me. And everybody's like, you've never played Taikado? No, I, I, there's been so many other games, but so I was really looking forward to it. And so there is no way for me to compare this game to Taikado. This will stand on its own from my standpoint as a, uh, what did I think of it? And, you know, I play a lot of two-player games because that's, you know, with Donna and I, we play a lot of two-player games. So I was very interested in this. And I love the fact that in this game, it's a, a rolling draft where, you know, you're drafting. I've always enjoyed those types of games. Yeah. So there's three different dice and each one represents uh, one of the different characters that you have. So you have six character meeples. You've got two pilgrims, two merchants, and two artists. So whoever is like the current First player will roll three dice, draft one of those dice to remove one of those characters. Next player drafts a die, and then the first player drafts the last die. Then it swaps, and the other person is the first player, and they're going to roll the three dice, and they'll pick two, and the other person picks one. So this continues over the course of the game until there's some certain victory conditions that will trigger the end of the game. But each one of these character meeples, the pilgrim, the merchant, and the artist, each have their own way of scoring things. Each of you have a player board. Each of those work differently as you try to achieve different victory points for each one. For just a quick example, Tony, the artist in this one, there, there, you could collect, you could complete paintings in Takedo. You could stop at a space and try to get a card and try to complete a painting. Here, the concept is, is you have these tiles that are turned over on your board. And on your turn, when you activate the artist, you can flip over one of those face down tiles and it'll say, hey, I want a painting of this particular thing. You have to then actually move your artist to that spot on the board. And when you do, you can remove that tile. As you flip over remove tiles that must be removed in order, it's going to reveal victory points that you can score at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Now, and another concept of this game is that of the three meeples, they all have different tracks on how they move. The artist has an inner circle. The merchant moves along with the axis of these inner 
the archipelago that you are representing here. And then, of course, the merchant moves around the outer edge. Now, they can block one another. The artist can't block anything, but the um, pilgrim and the merchant can block one another. So it's something that you have to keep in mind as you're moving and planning these. To win this game, guess what? Most victory points win. Fast, quick, simple, right up my alley. I appreciate the game for that. And I also like that it was very quick to explain to me, especially when it came to, hey, this is what you need to collect to get these victory points and how you advance your board. So I said, okay, I understand this. And like you said, it's very obvious on the player board too. Mm -hmm. Like the merchant, you're going to draw merchant tiles from a bag and put them on your board. Then you're going to try to get your merchant to that particular area of the board to sell those back for money. And then you turn in that money for actual victory points. And with the, the character that moves around the edge of the board, you're just trying to stop at different places to unlock spots on his player board. You're trying to advance a temple marker and a garden marker on your board. And as you move your pilgrim around the board, it does that. And it's basically a multiplier at the end. So each has their own unique way of scoring. I like to just like, well, do I try to do all three? Do I just focus on two and let the other one go? So you can kind of develop these strategies as you play the game. Like you said, Tony, a teach that's easily done in a few minutes, fast two-player game. It does not have the player activation mechanic uh, of the original game, which I kind of missed because I thought that was really cool. But still, the roll and draft is a unique aspect of this game. It still has that feel of Takedo because of each what each of the character meeples do. Yeah, minimal interaction between the two players. So don't think you're going to sit there and be battling. Like I said, it's going to be, you know, hey, oh, you blocked me. What am I going to do? I need you to get off that spot. Well, it'll give you some hard choices on which dice because maybe I want Marty to move his merchant to relate, to move that to move that guy so that I can then take over that spot based on how the rolls were going. Those are some of the hard decisions you have to make. Enjoyed playing the game. I think it's a good one for um, people who have never played this style of game like, or maybe just something to introduce them to Taikado, even though it's not similar in the in the actions. But it, hey, the concept's there. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the concept is there. So very small box game, so it's easy for travel, easy to store. That is Takedo Duo from Antoine Bowser and Fun Forge Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. Unfortunately, the Kickstarter 4.0 has concluded for Game Toppers. If you were interested in any of their products, I hope you got a chance to get over there and back. Love the products, love the mats. Matter of fact, Marty, the other day we were playing the game, we talked about it in this episode, and right before the game, somebody spilled lasagna all on the table. We had to clean that up, and I was sitting there thinking, if I had a Game Topper mat down here, I would have been able to clean that up because of the Scotch Guard. It would not even have stained it. It would have been so easy. Wouldn't have ruined my game at all. Amazing. Now, of course, game toppers are thoughtfully designed. They will help you get that game table solution in your house without this huge table sitting on the floor or have the big table space. I mean, there's cup holders and accessory trays that you can add. The powder coat finishing and premium Stains on the wood finishes make it look professional. You, people will look at it and say, hey, is this wood? And you're like, oh, no, 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 check this out. The magnet will stick to it. Beautiful finishes. The aluminum is military gray. Matter of fact, Marty, the other day I was moving a bed in my room 
and I needed to get to a area and the game topper was stored underneath the bed, I stood on that bad boy. Didn't warp it one bit. Didn't even think twice about standing on it because I knew that it had military grade aluminum in it. Can you believe that? I just, I stood on that bad boy. Can I shoot a tank at it? If you can shoot a tank, I won't see the gun that the tank is in. <laughs> Sorry. So, can I fire a tank at it? You think it'll withhold? If you're still firing a tank at it, I still won't see okay. the gun. Okay. Well, how am I supposed to say this? If a tank shoots around. <laughs> <laughs> I play historical war games, y'all. <laughs> oh, oh, I know we're going to squirrel here. So I'm down at Fort Stewart, right? And uh-huh. you're driving along. You know how you have those deer crossing signs? Oh, yeah. Okay. Is there a tank crossing sign? Yes. <laughs> does it have a picture of a tank? Uh, no, it just said, well, yeah, it does. They, some of them, and it was hilarious. I said, that would really, you could sit there and the tank, the little eyes would look at you and glow. That would mess up your day if a tank <laughs> hit you like a deer. <laughs> you think? <laughs> But head over to Game Charge. The 4.0, there is the late pledge now, so you can definitely do that. And then they have, of course, introducing the young Sherlock uh, gaming for, for your young kids. Love the ideas that Berkey's coming up over there. So be sure to head over to GameToppersLLC.com for more information. Santa's Workshop designed by Keith Ferguson, published by Elf Creek Games, is a worker placement game, ages six and up, so something even I can handle. And Marty, for this game, it is a very simple, straightforward worker placement game where you are trying to be the best elf in the shop. Yep. Each of you have elves that you're going to be sending out collecting materials, and you're going to try to build toys to put into Santa's sleigh. Game plays anywhere from two to five players, and I will say, Tony, that uh, I've been wanting to get my hands on this game for quite a while. This is the second edition. It was first mm-hmm. uh, published by Rio Grande Games, and I could never get my hands on it. I kept wanting, wanting it. And then it finally moved over to Elf Creek, and now it's, it's finally out. So I'm excited to play it. Uh, it looks great. Uh, there's some really nice components. Elf Creek does make some, some great components in the game, and this has that. But one thing I really like about this, Tony, is there's a standard and there's an advanced game. So if you want something that's a little bit easier to teach people how to play, you got the standard game. We as gamers, though, we played the advanced version of this game. What was the difference between the two? I didn't go and look at the standard. so I, maybe- I did. So why don't we explain what the advanced is, and I'll tell you the differences when we're done. All right. So for the advanced, I mean, you're going on your turn, you're going to place an elf out there. You can place an elf to collect various materials, be it uh, wood, be it metal and cloth. It's a material that makes things close and soft and things like that. And you may also want to need to now just putting it out there is not for free. You may need to pay. You have to pay coal. Mm -hmm. And eventually you got to go out to the mine. You got to mine some coal. But, you know, it wouldn't be Christmas without a decorated tree. Now these elves are slack. They only have one tree to decorate where Marty has like 25, 30, something like that. So they're, they've got nothing on him. Oh, but we also need to take care of our reindeer as well. We've got the reindeer up there that you need to go take care of during that process. As you are gathering materials, you are placing them on toys to either help um, build the toy or you're going over there and you are upgrading your mine card or you're making better blankets for the reindeer. You're also making better mining picks. Oh, and let's not forget that somewhere you may need to get more toy orders. So you have to go do that. And once you've collected enough resources, you can turn in your toys. 
for victory points. And the game is played over nine rounds. Every third round, there is a scoring. Uh, Santa's going to come around and evaluate how things are going. Whoever has made the most toys and placed the most ornaments on the tree, done the most decorating, is going to be give a little bit of reward. Uh, so that's something you need to be conscious of. Uh, after every third round, there's going to be that scoring. Now, Tony, you mentioned, as you're going to all of those places you mentioned, each one of those is a worker placement spot. Mm-hmm. There's a worker placement spot for each of the areas to get the three resources you talked about. There's the place in the coal mine. The reindeer, the whole purpose of those is set collecting. Uh, you have all the different types of named reindeer. Now, when you get them, they give you a little bit of a bonus, a little bit of a benefit. But at the end of the game, the more varied reindeer you have, the more points you're going to score. And you didn't mention this. You also need some blueprints. Uh, there's a spot at the bottom of the board where you need to place your worker to get blueprints. Now, this is one thing I think is unique, Tony. The first person to put their elf there just gets one blueprint. The next person that puts an elf there gets a blueprint, but they can give the person who chose, uh, who placed the first elf three victory points to get a second blueprint. And then the person who places their third elf could pay the other two guys three victory points apiece in order to get up to three blueprints. That was one of the more interesting point of the games because lots of times we didn't want to be the first one there. We wanted to go later on so we get more of those blueprints needed to, to complete our toys. Right. And I mean, you said three, but yeah, the second person gets two. I don't want to cost us $5 oh, here. sorry. No problem. But I mean, the blueprints or you're getting help from the other elves to put your toys together. So as you got to collect these. Now, of course, certain toys will require a lot more material, a lot more strategy, uh, blueprints. They'll get you bigger points. It's one of these games, I think, Marty, from the standpoint of teaching someone worker placement. It's right there. This is one of those. Not I, the I was, advanced version. But see, that's just it. I, f- I feel like what makes the advanced version so different. All right. So one of the things you mentioned uh, was was upgrades. And I mentioned all these things because when I talk about the difference between the standard, I'm going to tell you the stuff that's gone. So the upgrades, you could actually upgrade your elves such that like when mm. I go to the wood area, if I'm the first one there, I can pay an extra coal and get a wood upgrade. The next time I send that particular elf to the wood area, I get an extra wood I can collect. So you can make each one of the elves upgradable so that they can collect more of a particular type of resource. And like you said, you can also assign wood to your mine cart to make it hold more coal when you go and collect your coal. All right, so you have all that. Standard rules. Number one, the coal is not a resource in the game. What? You don't use that to get materials. You literally just put uh, your elf on a spot and you'll get like a wood. Here's the thing, though. Every player that puts another elf after that first one will get an additional resource but pay the other people before them one victory point apiece. So that mechanic that was in the advanced version of the game for getting uh, the blueprints applies to all the resources in the standard game. The later you place in the area, the more resources you're going to get, but you're given all the other players who went there before you a victory point. Hmm, that, that has a different strategy. That So maybe from, you know, when you think of standard versus advanced, you know, maybe it is not, advanced. Maybe it's just different strategies have to come into play. It is totally, it's totally different. Yeah. I, I think one less resource makes it easier. There's, there's the coal mm-hmm. you ain't got to worry about. There's no concept of upgrading. You don't upgrade your tools. You don't upgrade your mine carts. Okay. But, and you don't train your elves to be better at getting or doing whatever they need to do. Correct. Yeah. You, you do not. You have your own personal uh, tree. Instead of a main tree on the board, you can go to the tree take an ornament off the tree and put it on your own personal board. And when you select one of the face down ornaments on the tree, you'll get a, a little benefit ah. or whatever's on the other side and put it on your own. 
Also, there's only six rounds in the standard versus nine in the advanced. Okay. So there's only two scoring phases. So that game is also going to be shorter. Less resources, less options for upgrading, shorter game. That most makes it a little bit more easy than this than the advanced version. I'm going to have to say that's issue of when to place those elves in the standard game to get mm-hmm. victory points. That is, you know, key. Cause man, I, I really I really don't want to go there, but I really have to go there, you know? I like that. I mm-hmm. would, I when I first saw that, I went, Oh, I wish we'd have also played the standard game. Cause I would have liked to have seen how that works because that's what made it so interesting in the advanced game of I don't want to be the first person there. I want to go later to get the resources I need to complete my toys. However, the later you go, you are giving all the other players that went before you victory points. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to get help from the other elves, do you, to get more? If I only if I was the third person there and I didn't want to give you something, I, I don't remember that rule very well because it didn't matter. I always wanted the three extra blueprints. Here's another thing. It's easier to complete toys. And here's why. When you go and collect resources, you can uh, donate any extra to the uh, donation tree. And you can go to the donation tree and just take resources from there to apply to your toys. Oh, okay. So you don't have to, because you you don't want to waste toys. You don't want to waste. You're not wasting them. You say, oh, if I went and got three there and I only needed two, you at least get something in return. Gotcha. Yeah. And for every material you donate to that tree, you earn a victory point. So that's just another way to get victory points. But all those extra resources like that right there are beneficial to whoever wants to go to get them to try to finish off the toys that they have. Okay. Oh, I for, there's a game like that where if I'm going to, then you can go there later and get, oh man, so many games. But that's, I like that mechanic in the, whichever game I'm thinking of where you go after someone went there and you get what they left behind. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like it's that. really interesting that you have these two versions of the game, but one isn't just a stripped down version. It's actually a little bit different mm-hmm. in how it plays. So it's two board games in there. And if nobody's ever played a worker placement game, I think it's really easy to understand uh, the standard version. And then you have the advanced option there too. I will say this, this isn't a revolutionary. It's not creating any unique thing. If you've played worker placement games before, this is going to feel very, very familiar to you. It does have that Christmas theme. So I think it's one of those that would have appeal to a lot of people who want to have a game they play at Christmas. Like we have games that we play at BBQ for Halloween. That's about the only time that I would play those. Likewise, probably for me, for Santa's Workshop, it's one of those I would bring out Thanksgiving, Christmas time to play myself. And that's probably when I would focus on it. If you're looking for that worker placement game that has a Christmas theme, yeah, go for it. I, and I did have, not having played the standard, but after hearing Marty talk about it, either side of the board would would be good. I think both will provide enough strategy for what it is. Like I said, you know, age is six and up, so that should give you some indication of just how complicated it is. Not heavy reading, not heavy combos or anything like that. Pretty straightforward. Do what you need to do. Yeah, and there's enough player interaction, but not necessarily where you're hurting somebody else. In fact, you're actually helping somebody else with the player interaction because. Uh, you're giving them victory points when you go to certain areas on the board, but you also get a benefit. So there is a little bit of blocking that can happen in the advanced game because there's just less spots to go to. Like if the first person that goes to the coal mine gets a victory point and all their coal, everybody else can go there later, but don't get a victory point, et cetera. But Tony, you actually have the game. So maybe you'll play the standard game uh, over the holidays. You can come back and tell us how the standard game was. Uh, well, we are definitely looking forward to do that. And that is Santa's Workshop from Elf Creek Games. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, 
one. While walking around Gen Con, Marty and I like to look for those little booths off the beaten path and see what's there. And we came across one from Hobby Japan that people were telling us about. We got our little hind ends over there and we were talking to the gentleman and we were saying, okay, what do you have left? <laughs> well, talking. To, okay. I'm being loose with the term talking. Okay. There was talking, <laughs> but neither one of us understood what the other person was saying because they were obviously uh, very fluent in Japanese. We were very fluent in English and not fluent in each other's language. <laughs> Southern English to be exact. So that didn't help exactly. us even more, but they, they were actually very understanding and they, they had a few games left. I mean, they were selling out because, you know, it's one of those hot tickets at Gen Con. And we picked up one called Builders High from Susumo Kawasaki. I appreciated that last name, by the way, when I said, okay. Kawasaki lets the good times roll. And this is a complete straight card game. So after we bought the game for $10, um, there was. Okay. Yeah. So wait a minute. So. Tell them about this. So you bought the card game for $10, but the box that you got was Japanese and they had to give you another deck, right? Well, I, that's what I was getting ready to say. So you go ahead and tell them what I had to do. Oh, you just did. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. We are good to go. So yeah, so they, but as I was walking away, he says, oh, wait, 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 wait. You need English version. That would be helpful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so the box is sealed as the Japanese version, but they had separate decks they had uh, English translation for Right. So what did you do with the Japanese decks? Did you throw them away? Yeah. Because yeah. because you okay. needed... So there's three... Like Mark said, there's three types of decks. There's the... And I'll just use the terms for here. There's the building... The builders or the, the building deck, which has a whole bunch of buildings that have different costs on them. Then there's the monetary deck, which has three values of money, two, five, or ten. And then there's the city planning deck, which is basically objective decks that are dealt out at the beginning that people can claim. How do you win this game? By eliminating the cards in your hand and claiming an objective. First player to do that is the winner. There can be some ties if other players are able to do it on the last round. No victory points. No victory points. Of course, the building cards have various powers. And you're mm -hmm. like, how hard can this game be? All you're doing is building. First off, there can be no waste. You must pay exact. And the values of these buildings make that a hard combination to come by. <laughs> That's right. When when something costs, uh, I don't know, like 13. Uh -huh. So you got to come up with a combination of 5, 2, and 10 to come up with 13. But what I love about this, Tony, is that you get cards into play. They allow you to start doing some manipulation. It may say, increase the value of a building you're getting ready to build by one or decrease it by two. So these little things you can do that you can make those adjustments to make sure you have the right cards in your hand. But not only that, you can manipulate cards to uh, from between your hand and the table. Now on your turn, you can draw two cards from a deck and keep them from either one of the decks or exchange one. Take one from the table uh, and then put one from your hand back into the spot where it was. Mm -hmm. and, and you do that and you cannot mix the decks. You, if you go from the builder's deck, that's where you go. Money deck, you have to go there. Now, the the money deck does not come out and give you an option. Th that's what I really liked about this game, Marty, was that the marketplace built over time and shifted. Mm -hmm. It never refilled with other cards from the deck. I like that because you may have, oh, I got a building card. I really can't use that. So you exchange it with one that's out there in the market. Oh, but I needed that. The game was fabulous. Love the game. I love this game. It is so simple. But the idea of trying to math it out in your head to where that last round, okay, I have just enough money to be able to play this card. And maybe thanks to other cards I've played before, I can manipulate the cost of that 
building to make sure that I can to- that I can pay for it. But at the very beginning, it's tough because you got nothing like that. So you got to exactly match the value of the cards. And the cards went up into the 20s mm-hmm. uh, as, as far as values. And so lots of times it's like, man, I just need I just need a... I need two twos and I got no two twos in my hand. So do I draw a two from the table or do I risk it and draw two from the deck and hope that I grab a couple twos from there? Just a fun little game. And as far as tense, you could watch each other knowing how close they were. It was very tense and there was interaction. There was the demolition card that would allow someone to take a card from your building and put it in their hand, which was brutal, brutal. But now, like you said, Tony, it's not just running out of cards you got to take one of the achievement cards and only one person can take it. So you do have to be monitoring what other people are doing because if two of you are going after, say, achievement card, do you try to race there and get it first or do you pivot and go to something else because you don't think you can get it in time? Yeah, and I was on one of our games, I was getting ready to pivot and all of a sudden it was like, okay, I could not get the right cards in the market or draw the cards because... If you stack your hand full of cards, it's going to be hard to get rid of them near the end of the game. So you just kill your objective. So if this company or you have the ability to go to Hobby Japan, recommend Builders High. This is going to be one of our first stops at Gen Con if they come back next year. And we will have a fistful of tens or whatever the cost is and pick up a bunch more of their games. Because we didn't even get the most popular ones. And I can't remember what it is. But, but I'm excited for them. I can't remember what they were either. I just remember saying, well, we've sold out of those. Which were the most popular ones? It was like, those were the most popular ones. It was like, okay, we'll, we'll take whatever's left over. So yeah, uh, Hobby Japan kind of like uh, Oink Games. Cute little clever card games from Japan. So 100%, I'd like to buy some more of those. So that is Builders High from Hobby Japan. Five-minute initiative is complete. Head over to miniaturemarket.com for all your gaming needs. Now, when you hear this episode, Christmas is right around the corner. And you know you may have a big boatload of family coming in. And hopefully you'll get time to play games unlike Marty did in this episode. So with that, go look for those party games. Go look for those games that can, oh, I don't know, play six, eight people or play the team games over at miniature market you can type in these types of searches and they will help you find it they've got all that party games they've got all these little filters that you can use from that standpoint hopefully you were able to take advantage of their christmas gift list their big um after turkey uh, after thanksgiving sales their liquidation sales that you were able to get some of that they have some free shipping going on they lowered the price of some of their shipping don't forget about their amazing hold feature that you can purchase games and then release it They've ramped that back up and the games are coming out faster. Hit the button. You don't have to send them an email. Their whole feature is amazing. Also, don't forget at a certain level, you will get free shipping. You don't necessarily have to wait on them. Also, if you go over to Rolling Dice Taking Names website, click on that link to make sure that you send get the affiliate code and make those purchases so that we get a little fun kickback. Get that five cents for every dollar. I don't know how much it is. It might be a penny. It is. It's five cents on a dollar. Five cents on a dollar. Okay, there you go. That's, you know, what can we say? Help, help us out. That's how you can buy some Moonpaco and you enjoy a game. So head over to miniaturemarket.com. At Origins in 2022, I got to sit down with Restoration Games and play a prototype of a game which was going to be a co-op version of Unmatched. That game ended up being Unmatched 
Tales to Amaze. Uh, we got a copy of this game from Restoration Games, and I put it out on the table to play. Now, Tony, you and I have played many of the unmatched games, but we don't play a lot of mm-hmm. unmatched. And because it's mainly just a two-player game, but I was really excited about this because now this is a multiplayer game and it's co-op. So I was excited to see how can you take a head-to-head combat game and turn it to a co-op game? And to me, Tony, I really think they did a good job of implementing a game AI, a game monster that you all work together against to try to defeat. Yes. And one of the things I also appreciate is you don't just have to play with these characters. I like the fact that you can bring in your other unmatched sets because you're right. I don't play a lot of unmatched, but there are people that love and have all the unmatched and the tournaments are big. They will appreciate this. You know, hey, let's stop beating up on each other and let's go beat up on some Mars invading aliens. Okay, mm-hmm. let's go take care of that. And you can ramp up the difficulty. A couple of things you look for when you get to a co-op game is where is it tense? When do you feel like you are just you're not going to win? You know, is do you ever have that despair or was it too easy? And I think there was a good balance here when we were playing this game. I was like, okay, my actions, I didn't have a lot to do there, but I always felt like there was some, I, I felt useful at times. You know, there's some types of games where when you're co-op, that, that's, that's like, that's just a wasted turn. I'm not going to do that. I never felt that with this game. And that's one of the things I look at when I play these co-op games. Now, one thing I really liked about this game is the initiative deck, because you either play against one of two big bads. You've got Mothman, you've got the Martian, but you've got other minions that might come into play based on the number of players. And those minions, other smaller minion decks can be things like uh, the Ant Queen, Blob, Jersey Devil, Loveland Frog, Skunk Ape, or Tarantula. So there are these other monsters that's going to be out on the board that you got to deal with along with the big bad. But what I like is what's called the initiative track. So there's an initiative card for all the players and all the monsters. At the beginning of the round, you shuffle all those up and put them out on the table. So you flip over one at a time to see who's going to be going. And there was a Warhammer game, a Warhammer um, 40K game, co-op game that had the same sort of implementation Mm -hmm. where you had this initiative track that was uh, changed every round. I loved it in that, and I loved it in this, because it adds that, oh, please, just let me go before the Martian does, please, because I don't want the Martian to fly away while I got some good combat cards in my hand. I appreciate that tension and that excitement of the game of going through the initiative deck and hoping that it just works out in your favor to where you can get your turn before they act. And it's a frustration, too. You know, that's one of the things that that initiative deck brought was, well, dang it, and that's a good co-op game. Once again, like I said, you cannot, it's not always about the being programmatic or whatever the programmatic programmatic. Thank you. It, it's about, okay, how do I pivot and adjust? How can I change what we're doing here so that we do have the chance to possibly win? One of the things about this game that I'm sitting there thinking, you know, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. This isn't that hard. And then the ramp up kicks in. You know, I was like, okay, all right, now I see where we're going with this. What do I need to do and how, and how can I achieve our goals? How, how is this ramp up going to really hurt us? And I'm going to have to ramp up. I'm going to have to live on the edge with my characters and figure out how I'm going to do this. I like some of the special powers that the characters had, and you're going to sit there and say, okay, well, every co-op game's got that. Yes, but how they interact with other players or how they interact with the board are very important. I liked what they did there. And how it ramps up is you have that threat track. 
So depending on which side you're playing, there is going to be a threat marker that will go up as the game goes along. And as it increases, it's going to increase some difficulty. It maybe maybe introduces some stronger cards into the deck that you're playing against because some of those initiative cards also have abilities on them that can change. And we've talked a lot about how the AI works. And the reason why is because when it comes to the player turn, if you've played unmatched, it's the exact same thing. Mm. If you've played the game, your player turn is exactly the same. You can maneuver, you draw a card, and you can move. Nothing you could do with scheme is kind of like an instant card that you can play from your hand. Or you could do an attack. And now when you go into attack, it's going to work the exact same way. You're going to play an attack card from your hand. But there is a deck for each one of the uh, monsters out on the board. You're going to take one and flip it over. It's going to have some sort of defense value. And uh, you'll compare just like normal. You take the difference between the two. If you have a higher, you're going to deal damage, etc. And when they attack you, it's going to be the same way. On their turn, they're going to have a certain path that they're going to try to get, go to try to get you. And if they can get you, you also deal one from their deck. It's going to have an attack value on it. You play a defense card, etc. So the whole battle mechanic is exactly the same. So the only thing you really have to learn is how the AI works and it is super straightforward. So you can be up and playing this game pretty darn quick. And one of the things, the battling was pretty straightforward. Shields and attack, all straightforward. Very easy on the cards to understand and get people to follow. You've got the type of card that it's going to be, whether it's an attack or defense, if there's a boost value, all these it's straightforward. I mean, it was very quick for you to teach us this game. And if you're very familiar with Unmatched, this is going, I mean, this is going to be very easy. Piece of yeah. cake. It's literally learning what the minions do and how to handle uh, that part of the game when they activate. And honestly, that's going to be it. Now, this board game does have two sides, one for the Martian invaders and one for Mothman. You're going to randomly choose those minions based on the number of players, one to four to include in the deck. And like you said, Tony, you can pull in any other other heroes from the set. So let's say you're like, hey, you know what? Martians and whatever, I can handle you. You're no problem. Or if it's like, man, they're kicking our butt. Let's switch this up. I'm going to try bringing in this character from another set, and maybe we can make life a little bit easier for us. Or if you want to ramp up the complexity of the game, there's what's called advanced play. You can add in these amazing event cards, which is going to make the game more difficult. So even once you think, hey, I've got this, they've provided a way to have some more replayability by making the game even more difficult. Now, Tony, it seems to me, that they're probably going to, I would hope they would, if this this is very successful, to be able to do some more of these co-op style games with maybe different monsters. Or it'd be cool if they just, well, I guess they kind of need to release it as an all-in-one set. The nice thing is you don't need to own any other Unmatched because it comes with four characters that you can play right out of the box. But I want they're going to do something like, it's like, all right, here's a new board and a new monster to deal with that you can include in the base game. You know, Justin's got something up his sleeve down there. He's going to have Frankenstein, the Wolfman, all this stuff's going to be coming at us because he's going to be, you know, tells, what was the comic book? Tell, it was, it was, it was it tells to um, amazing tales. It is something like that. Tells to amaze, uh, which is, which is the name of this game. It's, it is something along that because line. Because the, the artwork of the book and all that is, it gives you that feeling to it. Now I'm beginning to question as I go back over the rules here, Marty, we won, but I'm beginning to question whether or not we really did win. Cause during the enemy's turn, they're going to move and attack. That's what they Correct. do. And Correct. if they do not move, on a turn, because if there's no target within the move value, the threat marker goes up one. Did we do Correct. that? 
Yes, okay. because because we were always usually we were always close enough because we were trying to battling with it too. So it usually always had a character to attack. And in fact, I purposely did that mm-hmm. because I didn't want it to move up on the threat level for free. That's my point to this is you've got to be able to have that interaction. You can't turtle. Turtling's bad. No, you can't because the threat level will automatically go up, making it harder. And the threat level is one way that's going to uh, possibly trigger the game because the end of the game can happen. Either when all the players uh, win by defeating the villain or when the players lose because the villain achieves its, its objectives four times or all the players' fighters are defeated. Well, it achieves those objectives by moving up that threat level. And there is the favorite Tony rule. You can't get knocked out and go get your switch out. So that's one thing you got to consider. You got to keep everybody alive or sacrifice yourself and go get a refill of your um, Coke Zero from the Qdoba's um, fountain machine. <laughs> now, I love this. I love the characters that were in it. You have Dr. Jill Trent, Annie Christmas, who did I not know about? I talked to Vanessa because she's like down from this uh, mm-hmm. Louisiana. And uh, she says, oh, yeah, I've heard of that character. Nikola Tesla and the Golden Bat, which is a really cool Japanese superhero. I thought that was really uh, cool to include. Yeah, so they have these four brand new characters uh, that I really enjoy, too. For me, Tony, if I'm going to play a match, this is kind of the way I want to play it now. Because it can involve more people. And I just like the co-op aspect of it. I I would agree with you. I mean, I was never into the, you know, 1v1 here of of a match. Some of the characters were fun. I I still haven't done the Spider-Man version of it you know, that they have, mm-hmm. I'd like to give that a try sometime, but you know, I, I like this. I like the co-op. I, Hey, I know we're not supposed to mix publishers here, but I enjoyed horrified. And I felt like, you know, this mm. is a shorter version of horrified that brings everybody in every, all the interaction that can happen instead of have someone being sitting out on the sidelines. Now I did feel as we were playing this, that it took a while for the tension. I was kind of, you know, this is slow, Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that some of my, I couldn't get my characters in position because I blocked myself, which was stupid. Some of the rules about movement, I felt like, well, why can't I do this? Well, fine. You need to work your way around it. Big boy, figure it out, put on your big boy britches and, and make it work for you. You messed up the game. The game was not a messed up. Sure. Just like unmatched, the rules are pretty straightforward. So, uh, you know, some people are like, we're looking for a really super complex game. This is not going to be it. I do think this is more, especially with the uh, with the cooperative aspect of it, probably more a family level, uh, lighter lighter type game that you could probably get a lot of people around. I think I could probably teach this quicker uh, than you you mentioned Horrified. Mm-hmm. I think I could probably teach this quicker than Horrified, and it's only plays twenty to sixty minutes. I think probably in general you're going to be forty to forty five minutes, so it's also a very fast moving game. Now BGG says that this was a re implementation of Star Wars Epic Duels, which I never played. The unmatched game, yes. Yes. Okay. Because Rob Davio did that. And that was where this all came from. The original unmatched game came from taking those kind of original rules and pulling them in this. Okay. Matter of fact, his name's on the designer thing over at BGG. It says Rob. It's a Davia. It's a Davia. It's yes. a Davia. Okay. Well, it was fun. Yep. Enjoyed it. I'm mm-hmm. glad we won. I. I would like to play it again with a different hero and see if, if we can pull off another win, see if we can take down Mothman again or whoever the aliens, uh, what was it? Martian invaders. Martian yeah. invaders. I can't, what was it? Mars attacks that movie. I kept thinking of that movie as we were playing. I actually like the Martian invaders. They were cool. So they're basically just trying to dump all these Martians all over these fields, all over the board. And you have to keep clearing the Martians off the board. Cause it's one of their win conditions. And, uh, 
you'd be getting up to the UFO to try to beat it because that's how you beat the thing. And stupid UFO fly across the board. It's like, dang it. That's where I was talking about where the initiative is so important. It's like, awesome. I got a, a huge attack card. And then all of a sudden, the Martian moves first. It's like, crap. He just moved to the other side of the board. That doesn't mean no good. That's nothing. So, I can't do this. Yeah. That, anyway, the initiative track is my favorite thing about this game. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've very much enjoyed it. That is Unmatched Tales to Amaze from Restoration Games. All right, so I recently bought Super Mario RPG, and before I talk about that, I got to tell you about this other cool game that I got a key for. It's called Astelia Revision, A-S-T-L-I-A. So this is an RPG, which I'm always interested in, but it's an RPG with the gameplay of a Metroidvania game. So as you're playing, it has that Metroidvania feel where you have weapons, and you go around and, and shoot people and fight people and stuff with a really interesting story. But it's an RPG in the sense that as you get XP, you can level up, you can get items, you can craft items, trade items, break down items, craft. So it has the feel of a classic JRPG type mechanic, except when you're playing, it plays as a Metroidvania game. And I got to say, I really liked it. And the story is really, really out there. It's really cool. As the more you play... It's like, what the heck is going on? So they really do a good job of telling you a story and keeping you engaged with the game as you play. But the gameplay mechanic, I think, is is really good. I have I have been really enjoying playing it. On the Switch, by the way. So that's what I was playing it on. You only play on the Switch. But I think it's, uh, it may be out for other platforms mm-hmm. also. Uh, I think it may be out on Steam um, also. So if you don't have a Switch, there are other ways that you can play it. I mean, you, you have me at the the leveling and the, that kind of stuff, but you lose me at the side-scrolling shooting thing. Because whenever you say Metroidvania stuff, Metroidvania. I, I'm like, okay, that's side-scrolling shooting. Not my favorite. Okay. I mean, yeah, if, if you don't like the 2D Metroid games or Castlevania games, then this probably would not appeal to you as much. And I don't know why that, why, why I don't like those as much. I, don't, I guess it's the jumping and the timing. I'm not good at that. But it's not really a platformer. You, you always say that, but those games aren't necessarily mean it's a platformer like a Mario style game. Mm. Some of them do have some jumping, but a lot of them are, I can't jump that high until you get something to where you can jump that high. It's not like a uh, Mario game where I need to get to the left side of the board to the right side of the board uh, without dying okay, or losing all my life sort of deal. All right. But it's more like a, you play Contra, right? I mean, in the old 80s arcades where you move and shoot from left to right. Not much. Pick up weapons. Yeah, no. Okay. No, no, yes. But that's, it's, that, it's that style of game, except it's more exploration. So you may come back to the same area again and unlock stuff that you couldn't unlock before. It's that sort of deal. So now I I've been enjoying it and it's gotten actually pretty darn good reviews. Oh, I actually called it the wrong thing. It's Asta Libra, A S T L I B R a revision. It's on the switch. It's on uh, steam. So yeah, I enjoyed it, but then I had to pause from that because I did go get super Mario RPG, which I never played the original on the super NES. So I was really super excited to play this. I must say, I'm having the best time with that game. The graphics are amazing. It's funny and it's fast. It's only like a 12 to 15 hour game. You have to collect seven stars. I've already got five of the seven. So I'm almost done with the game and I've really enjoyed my time with it. See, this is where I'm going to have a problem. If it's only that long and yet it costs you that much, why? I just have, I'm one of these people that plays 250 hours in a game. 
That's where you and I totally differ because after hour 40 of a game, I get bored. Okay. Uh, I literally, it's like, I'm kind of ready to start playing something else sort of deal. So when a game is like 15 to 20 hours or so, that is kind of my sweet spot because I like to complete a game. And when there's a game like that, it's like, ah, yes, I completed it. I'm done. I'm going to move on to the next game sort of deal. Okay. And see, I'm I'm the completionism of it, com- the person who's got to do everything. I got to get this badge. I want to get this armor. I want to do all these things. Is that an option for this game or no? It's just pretty straight uh, on rails. Uh, it's pretty on rails. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, it's like, okay, you got the star. Great. Well, what you need to do is you need to go over there and try to get that star. Now, there there is a 100% completion. There are other things that you can do. There's like little puzzles and stuff that you can try to complete and stuff like that. But uh, one thing I like about it, it is a turn-based game. But when you're having combat, uh, there's some timing involved. So say, for example, I can do one of my super jumps. If I do the super jump, I ain't got to do anything. He'll do some damage. But if I press a button right at a certain time as he's getting ready to land on somebody, it does bonus damage. So everybody's attacks has a way where it has a timing mechanism to where you can do bonus damage. You had me until I had to do this timing thing. I'm old. <laughs> I am I just suck. Well, it has an exclamation mark that tells you when you're supposed to push the button. So oh, it okay. It kind of gives you that. a hint when it's supposed to help. Yeah. I can do that. So it, it does help you out along the way. And it's one of those things you start out with uh, only Mario and you keep adding characters to your party. And you have up to three characters in your party. One's a healer. Uh, one's a tank. Mario's kind of a good all around. So you pick which one you want to use into a combat, uh, can spend your money to get better armor, to get better weapons. So it has all that classic RPG trope inside of it too. So what is that called? The three classes? The, is it the, not, the trifecta where you have to have the healer, uh, the tank and the, um, and the range and the range. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I may still give it a try. I mm-hmm. I still want to pick up Super Smash Brothers, but it didn't go on sale during the holiday season. So Super Oh, the combat game? Who would you play that with? Just myself. Okay. But, I mean, that's one of those quick and I'll be out in no time because I will lose quickly on that. They didn't have that on sale? Uh, they didn't have squad on sale. I would have I would have looked for other games, but you know what? That's that's fine. I'm really surprised that wasn't on sale somewhere. Super Smash is it did you want a physical version? Always. Oh, so you do want to, okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it may be on sale on um on the eShop, but yeah. Well, with that, I think we are coming <laughs> to the end of another riveting Rolling Dice and Taking Names 11 years. Season 2023 is coming to an end for the show. And I will say that in typical fashion, Tony and I are going to take one extra week off before you hear back from us because our normal episode kind of dropped during Christmas and it's kind of crazy because... People need to enjoy their Christmas and not be listening to us. So so there will be a delay. So we may not be back for like three weeks or so, but uh, we will be back unless, you know, you don't want us back and, you know, we can be talked into that too. Money will do an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. You go to buymeamoonpod.com and look, I'll pay you a hundred bucks just to never make another episode again. You Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's too low. That's way too low. <laughs> That's way too low. It's got to be recurring. Oh, it's got to be gotta recurring? It's got to be like $100 okay. a month. <laughs> That'd be funny. As long as I pay you $100 a month, you won't make an episode. But once it gets to 99 we're back doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so with that, keep rolling dice. And taking names. 
Thanks for listening, and don't forget to go join our Discord channel for a chance to win some great prizes in our anniversary contest. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names and Instagram Dyson Names. We hope everybody enjoys their holiday, and we'll see you back next episode. Just so you know, Tony, for the 11th anniversary gift, you can either get me steel or turquoise. So what's it going to be? If I don't buy my wife anything for her anniversary, do you think I'm going to buy you something? This relationship sucks. <laughs>